Episode 207 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the great British actress, author, animal rights activist and wildlife campaigner Virginia McKenna. Virginia is best known from the films A Town Like Alice, Carve Her Name with Pride, Ring of Bright Water and Born Free in which she and her second husband Bill Travers portrayed the wildlife conservationists Joy and George Adamson. The experience led them to become active supporters for wild animal rights, as well as the protection of their natural habitat. They set up the Born Free Foundation in 1984, which, since the death of Bill Travers ten years later, has also been run by their son Will Travers. My interview with Virginia took place in 1998. As far as I know, you, you've lived most of your life in Surrey, haven't you? Is that right? Well, I've lived all my married life to Bill in, uh, in the same house in Surrey. Forty years I've been in the same house. Were you born in, in Surrey? I was born though? in London. Born in London. And then in the war, um, I went to South Africa with my mother as um, an evacuee and left Heronskill, where I was, and yeah. went for six years to South Africa and then came back to Heronskill after the war. Were your parents in the acting business at all? Or? No, well, not in the acting business. My father, who, who died when I was only 17, but he was an, uh, one of the chief auctioneers at Christie's, the auctioneers. Right. So I think there's a fair amount of drama <laughs> or dramatic skill necessary to be a really good auctioneer Absolutely. because of, you know, communicating to your audience and all that. So I think there was certainly a bit of showmanship in his blood. Yeah. And he was a cousin of Faye Compton, the actress. Oh, right. Um, my mother was actually a musician. Um, she, she was a brilliant pianist and composer and had her own trio. She was a jazz and light music uh, musician. And before the war, she had her own trio, and they did cabaret at places like the Barclay and the Savoy and big hotels in London. What made you want to become an actress? Um, <laughs> well, I, I didn't initially want to become an actress. I wanted to go... I really wanted to be a writer, but um, my parents saw me in... Because Helen's Guild did some rather wonderful Shakespeare productions in the open air in the summer, and they, they saw me in one or two of those, and um, the individually, because they, they were separated when I was very tiny, mm -hmm. um, they both encouraged me to go to try and get into drama school, and um, after a couple of failures, I got into the central school of speech and drama and was there for two years. So when I left school at 17, I went straight to drama school. Were there any other stars in your time at um, central? Um, perhaps not, not in my time. Um, Judy Dench went there, but not in the same time. I think she right. was after me. Yes, I can't... No, I don't think I, I mean lots of really good actors, but when you say star, I don't. I can't think of anyone who who is um, a big film star or anything like that. Were you ever told as a child that you would be a star one day, or did you ever think that oh, you would no, make it? Oh no, good lord, no! <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about things like that. Um, I just used to. I used to always be very interested in in words. I used to go in for elocution exams and things at school, and uh, I used to love words, speaking words. So I suppose it was in my in my blood, but I wasn't conscious that I would ever one day be an actress. I just had a fairly normal childhood, and I was very sporty. I played a lot of games and just uh, never thought about those things, really. You were very beautiful, too. Did you do any modelling? Was I? 
I never thought of myself in that way ever. Gosh, no, I um, never thought of myself as beautiful either. I thought I was rather boring looking. You know, <laughs> sort of rather rather sort of even features and just ordinary, really. I imagine when you started doing films and becoming well known, you had a lot of male admirers. There didn't you? Didn't you get a lot of fan mail and so on? Um. I don't think any more than anyone else, or probably less, really, because, the, you see, the parts I played were not really glamour parts. They were they were more sort of real people, and um, I, I never was interested in, in the glamour side of uh, films, and I didn't do that many films, I suppose, really, overall. I was much more into theatre and television, and uh, I was never interested in, in looks, you see. I was much more interested in the person behind the looks. That's sure. really what's always interested me. But nonetheless, you had a very sort of English rose appearance. Oh, yes, I did have that label attached, yeah. which was quite funny, really, because I'm not particularly English. I, well, I was born in London. My mother was half French, half Scottish, and my father was half Irish, half Scottish, so I haven't <laughs> got a great deal of English in me. Right. What was your big break, acting-wise? <laughs> well, I suppose my big break was the very first play I did, because I was in the Dundee Rep for six months after I left drama school, and... Um, um, H.M. Tennant's, which was the big theatrical impresario of that time, had um, a, a person known as, I think, sort of talent scout, who used to travel around the country in those days. Mm-hmm. I wish they had that now, really, um, looking for new new actors and actresses and actors. And she came to the Dundee Rep, where we were doing a production of Great Expectations, and I was playing Estelle. Mm-hmm. And she saw me, and she thought I would be right for a new play that they were doing in London at the Haymarket Theatre by John Whiting called A Penny for a Song. And I was offered the job. And, of course, I mean, can you imagine at uh, 20 or 19 or whatever I was, to be offered a, 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 the juvenile lead in a play in the West End as your first London production with H.M. Tennis? I mean, that was my big break. I'm sure it was right. the first one. When did you meet your first husband, Denham Elliott? How did you meet him? Well, we were in the same film, The Cruel Sea, and right. we didn't have any scenes together. We sort of met on that, and then we just sort of met up again afterwards, really. Right. How did you meet your second husband? Well, Bill I met in a play by Dodie Smith called um, I Capture the Castle. Right, so you captured him at the same time. Oh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Neither was free to be captured at that moment, mm. but that's where I met him. Mm. And then some considerable time later, we met again, and uh, that's when we got together. Mm. What was it like doing all those movies? Was it a real heady time for you, being a film star all of a sudden? Well, I, as I say, I never really thought of myself. I was sort of an... I was a working actress, and I was doing theatre, and sometimes I was doing a film and a play at the same time, so it was fairly, fairly tiring, fairly hard work. Um, I just enjoyed, I'm a person that enjoys the job I'm doing at the time, and the publicity side of it and all that was not something I actually ever really enjoyed. I much preferred just to do the work and go home. So I don't think I ever got heady, no. I just enjoyed whatever I was doing at the time enormously. And I was learning, of course, all the time, both the sort of technique of filmmaking and uh, how it varies in, uh, in a superficial way from the theatre, but not fundamentally so, in my view, anyway. Was so I was ex- really learning. Was it exciting working with people like Yul Brynner and so Oh, yes. I mean, can you imagine to be at the Palladium with Yul Brynner and the King and I for 16 months? I mean, um, that was that was the most one of the most exciting theatre things I think I was ever part of because it mm. was such a beautiful production. 
What would you say is the most was the most glamorous thrill that you had throughout? Glamorous? You, you're yeah. very keen on the glamour. Well, you were very glamorous. Just, well, you were very glamorous. modest. <laughs> you are. It makes me laugh. Um, well, uh, glamorous. God. What, what gave you the biggest thrill that you'll never forget? Well, acting. Yeah. Well, I suppose. Um, well, I, I've had. They're so different, you see. It's very different. I mean, if I was to be honest with you about the theatre, I would have to say The King and I, because mm-hmm. that was the most thrilling and magical, and, and to be in a musical, which I, I love music, and so that was a buzz every night when the orchestra tuned up, as, you, as a lot of people will tell you. Mm. Um, the, but the most fulfilling in a long-term way was Born Free with my husband, uh, and that sort of introduced us to a whole new life, and so that, for me, would have to be the, the major experience of of filmmaking, although I did other films, um, which were also very important to me, like Carl Her Name with Pride and The Town Like Alice. I mean, I'm going back so many years now, but those those will always be remembered by me, and also by people who saw them. They are, those are the ones they say to me, oh, I saw you in Carl Her Name with Pride, or I saw you in Born Free or something. So I'm glad that the ones that are important to me also are important to the people who saw them. Is there any one film or whatever that, that really stood out for you that you really treasure? Oh, yes, right? Born Free. Right, that's yes. the one. Yes. Mm. Why is that particularly? Because you work with your husband? or? Well, obviously that. I mean, I've worked with him on many occasions, but because it was a life-changing experience, I think, because it's a, um, certainly for both of us, and because we shared it, and because we uh, both our lives changed separately and together um, because of the film and the people we met and the experience we had, that, that has to be the one that, that meant the most to both of us, I think. When you say it changed your life, you're referring to the animal world that introduced well, yes, you to it. Yes, it introduced us to something else, you see. You know, before that, we were actors and uh, doing our jobs and enjoying them and finding them interesting or frustrating or whatever the particular job had in store for us. But this one um, had a dimension which we'd never experienced before. To what extent were you into animals before that, though? Into animals? Well, not, not much, really, except having dogs and cats at home. Right. And okay. living in the country. Um, we, we didn't really, we didn't have any animals except pets, you know, domestic animals. We loved being in the country. We lived in the country. We've always felt in harmony with being in, in nature, in the woods and fields and everything, but we never really experienced, certainly not lions. Did you become a vegetarian at that point, or are you are you now a vegetarian? Yes, I am. I've been a vegetarian since 1980. Right. Um, I, I wasn't a vegetarian. I didn't start to think all these things. You know, you kind of take time. They, they, they. You have to reflect on them. You have to think things through carefully. And it took me a long time to to be a vegetarian. I wish I had before, but though I didn't. So. But I'm pleased I, I am now, absolutely, 100%. Hmm. Can I just go back to your film career? I mean, it, it sort of was fantastically successful for a certain period of time, yeah. and then it dropped away. Why did it hmm. drop away so quickly, do you think? Well, probably because I was doing, because after Born Free, other, these other interests came into my life, and so I wasn't, uh, I was doing other things. I was kept on with theatre and things, but then I did, the films I did were more just a, a scene in... in in a film, I had as like a, what they call cameo role, yeah. in a scene with an actor that I was very excited to work with. Like I did a scene with a couple of scenes with Gary Cooper in The Wreck of the Mary Dear, and I played Kurt Douglas's wife. In, in, in I was actually shot in the first five minutes. <laughs> but um, which film was that? Holocaust 2000, I think it was called. Holocaust. Holocaust 2000, and then I had a, a small uh, scene, well, a nice scene with Donald Sutherland in another film uh, called The Disappearance. 
you see, I just did sort of things which really interested me, but then I was starting to do more things for, for animals because we started our organization in 1984. So um, I started to be much more involved with that work. So when you did Born Free, you pledged to devote a lot of your life to the animals, did you? Well, we didn't really... It wasn't a conscious thing at that time. It's just that when we came home, and we we both found it quite difficult to settle down, and my husband said, I really would like to make a a documentary film about what happened to some of the lands we used in Mm. Born Free. And um, so I said, well, why don't you? And um, so we, we sort of pulled our savings. I mean, he'd never made a film before, but uh, he he wrote a film and uh, he produced it and he made it and uh, he sold it extremely well in the States on television and uh, we still we still have it on video here at the foundation, which mm. we sell. So that was the beginning, really, of his new work. A lot of people seem to have the impression that you completely gave up acting to concentrate on animals, but you're still working as an actress, aren't you? Well, very occasionally, yes, very occasionally. Kind of once a year I might do two days or I have just done six days on a new BBC two-part serial thing which comes out in the spring. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, uh, this is called The Skilled's Bridal and I play a rather sort of dotty lady who lives in part of a house next to where a murder is committed. And the story is, who who killed this person? So I just got a, a small part in that, and then it was great fun to do. It's a sort of a thriller, but you don't see a lot of gore. It's not one of those shooting ones. It's more the intrigue and, and, and just finding out who, who killed this woman. Right. And uh, so that was fun to do. Is that the only thing you've got coming up at the moment, acting Oh, wise? yes, absolutely, right. yes. So does this mean you're very picky? Or, or no, because I just don't have time. You see, I have um, I have a huge amount of work which I do with the foundation. I'm about to go to Cairo. I'm working with the authorities there in the zoo to try and sort of uh, bring about some improvements there. So I, I travel a great deal, and uh, I'm I'm just so fascinated. I'm so involved, you know, and yeah. I have been more and more of the years that I I haven't got the compulsion in a way to to act anymore although i like i love doing it just now and again i'm really i'm really interested in what i do here do you miss your film star days oh no no i love them i i i loved them when they were there and enjoyed them and i wasn't really a film star you know i was a film actress i don't think i was a star you were to me (laughs) um but i don't um no i don't miss them they're just a part of my life which i appreciate enormously and, and and really enjoyed. And now I enjoy something else. You know, I'm a very adaptable person, and I just appreciate life, really. Do you have many souvenirs and memorabilia of your film career? Oh, no, not really. Because, uh, you know, sometimes people write to you and say, oh, can you have got an old hat or an old bit of something from a film you made? So I've given away most of them. Oh. I don't think I have got anything much, no, not do, really. How often do you watch your old movies? Oh, never. <laughs> really? No. Why not? Well, I'm not particularly interested in seeing myself. Oh. No, I, I, I watch uh, wildlife documentaries. That's mainly what I watch. Right. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about Bill Travers? What was he like? What what kind of a character was oh. he? Oh, goodness. Oh, he was an incredible person. He was uh, a very profound person and a person of great vision. 
um, quite an inspiration, I think, to people. I know that because of the hundreds and hundreds of letters I had from people when he died, how much he meant to them. He certainly has been an inspiration to me and uh, to the work we do at the Foundation. He, he was very much a man ahead of his time. He used to think about things and put forward ideas, which in a way everyone was not quite ready for, but come around to it a few years ahead, you know. And my son, Will, is carrying on in such a, a fantastic way the work that Bill thought of at the start. You obviously still miss him terribly by the sound of it. Oh, I do. I mean, yeah. how could you not? Mm. <laughs> Married him for a very long time, and yeah. we had a very wonderful life together. And we, I think he was a great respecter of people's individuality, and he thought it was very important that people express themselves. He always encouraged me if I was asked to, to do a, a play or a television or something, and I used to say, oh, gosh, I don't know how on earth I'm going to manage that. I would love to do it, but it's going to be too difficult. He'd always say, we'll find a way around. We'll, we'll manage. You ought to do it if you want to do it. I mean, he was so encouraging in that way. Mm. And um, I think that's, you know, well, one of the reasons we were so happy and so close to each other, because we allowed each other uh, independence. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a bit contradictory, that, but I think it's very important. How many years were you together all together? Well, he died just before our 37th wedding anniversary. Right. Oh. You have three children, don't you? I have four children. Four children, beg your pardon. Yes, I have a daughter in Australia who has also got four children. What's she called? Louise. Right. And what does she do? Well, she's, she's inherited my mother's musical talent. She's enormously musical and plays and composes and uh, sings, and she's now teaching music. So she, she does that, really. Mm-hmm. And, and she's the second. Right. My eldest child is Will, who runs the Born Free Foundation. Yeah. And then Louise, and then I have a son called Justin, and he is the first assistant director on commercials and um, doc- films, documentaries. Mm-hmm. And then I have a son called Dan, right. Daniel, who's, um, who is a model, but also has now just trained as a um, deep-sea diving instructor. And uh, he's just starting out on this new career, and um, I really hope that he makes a success of it, because he will be a, he's a wonderful swimmer and a very, very good teacher. He's very patient. And uh, I hope he makes a success of that. To what ex- only one who wants any diving lessons. To what extent do your sons in particular remind you of Bill? <laughs> well, I suppose my eldest son reminds me very much physically of him because he looks very like him. And in his, in his temperament and his way of thinking about life, he's very, very similar. And my middle son... Uh, has a wonderful humour that um, Bill had, and my youngest son um, has the the kind the the sort of concern for other people and uh, and the sort of attention to people's uh, needs, feelings, and looking after them. That sort of thing, the mm. looking after side of it that the youngest son has, I think. Now, two of your sons live with you in Surrey, don't one, they? One, well, one, the youngest one. He st- he he came back to live at home when Bill died, which was wonderful of him, and he's yeah. still here. <laughs> yeah. He travels a lot. He goes away a lot, but his his home is still here. Right. Mm. And you all get together at say Christmas time or whatever. Well, we usually get together at Christmas. It, it depends a little bit because my my eldest son, Will, he's married and has two children, and we take it in turns. Some Christmases uh, he goes to Devon to my daughter-in-law's family, and the next Christmas, like last Christmas, we were all in Australia with my daughter. Mm. This Christmas they went to Devon, so we we share them. We take it in turns. How important is it to you that you've kept the same house? Well, I suppose it must be important, otherwise I'd have left it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, 
you know, because it, it's still it's still quite a hub of uh, of life, and um, because the office is just across the garden, you know, people come and go, and I have people to stay, and my son being here, it's it's not a, a house that feels empty. Mm. I mean, empty obviously of a person, but uh, the whole feel of the house is is unchanged. I think because. Uh, Bill's presence was so enormous that uh, everything is influenced by it and all the things we gathered over the years, our little bits on our travels, you know, I've still got those things around me which I love. Yeah. So I hope I won't have to leave yet, anyway. Do you, do you want to stay there for the rest of your life? Well, as long as I can manage, yes. Right. As long as I can be independent and drive because we're a bit cut off here. Yes. As long as I can be independent, I want to live here, yes. Mm. Now, one imagines you to be surrounded by animals, a bit like Bridget Bardot. Is that the oh, case? No, it's not the case at all, because um, she's got a little rescue thing, hasn't she, which right. we don't have here. I just have two, I have two rescued dogs, and my son has a cat, and I've got some geese in the garden, but uh, no, I don't have anything um, wild here, except mm. the, ones, the wild creatures in the woods, because I have a lot of those. I've got deer and... <laughs> pheasants and badgers and foxes and all sorts of things in the woods. Oh. Is it difficult, though, to turn people away if they come to you with a wounded animal of some kind? Well, they don't come to us with a wounded animal because they know we don't have a, a rescue thing. I mean, I, I'm a patron of um, a very excellent rescue place in, in Leatherhead, which isn't far away, called uh, Wildlife Aid. Mm -hmm. And um, if anyone did ever say, look, I've got an injured whatever, I would uh, put them in touch with them because they're the experts. How do you feel uh, about, say, the CJD crisis when all these animals are getting slaughtered to save human beings, as it were, and also like the Hong Kong flu we had recently with yes. all those chickens getting... How does it make uh, you feel? Oh, dear. Well, it makes me feel sick, actually, probably like most other people, you know? I mean, because all these things are, are man-induced, aren't they? All these problems that animals have, that captive animals have, you know, or domestic animals have or farm animals have they're all because of something we've done animals in the wild there again they sometimes become sick because of intrusion and invasion by by human problems um so everything that that, that happens to animals it seems to me in the world all the problems they have with their health are all because of something we've done so i i feel enormously sort of guilty on behalf of us all really Mm. I mean, I can't stop it. What can I do? I can't stop all the birds being slaughtered in Hong Kong. But, I mean, everyone would be upset. Anyone who cared about life would be upset by that sort of thing. Are you not a campaigner, then? Do you try and avoid that side of things? Well, no, I'm, I'm a campaigner. I'm a, I support other people's campaigns if they are protesting against something. I'm a very peaceful campaigner. I don't <laughs> believe in, 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 in violent methods. But... Yes, I've campaigned in my day about zoos. I've gone on marches, and, uh, mm. you know, I'm not afraid to, to stand up and be counted. Absolutely not. It must be nice for you to know that your son, William, is basically leading the Born Free oh, yes. organization now. It must be good to know it's in good hands. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that Bill and I could have never carried it forward in the way he has, because he's got a young and inventive mind, and he's, he, he's got uh, such a wonderful memory. I mean, my memory is like a calendar now. <laughs> hmm. He's got such a wonderful memory, and he, he's a very, very good communicator, both on paper and when he talks to people. He... He, he puts the, the message across so well because we try to we try to not isolate ourselves and our issue from general life. We try to make it part of it because we feel all these issues about compassion and kindness and respect are all part of how we feel about everything, not just about how we think about animals in, in zoos. 
it's a sort of general feeling about how we think about nature and that's what's important that we we try to sort of promote and expand people's kind feelings and good feelings mm. um which isn't easy today when you know there's a lot of violence around and a lot of indifference as well do you hope the organization stays in the family for many years to come and that it, it exists for a long time? Well, of course I do. I mean, I mean, most people will say in these organizations, we hope that, you know, in 10 years' time we won't be here because the problem will have gone away. But there's no possibility, I'm sure, that the problems will go away, unfortunately. So we will still be here. Um, who knows who will take on from Will when, when he finally has to give up? I hope that won't be for a very long time. Um, are you finding any of your grandchildren are interested? Are they, are they... Well, they're all a bit young right. at the moment. Um, I, I, his two children are very, very interested and, and concerned by all the animal issues. And who knows? One of them might eventually... Well, I don't know. People have to develop in their own way and do what's right for them. I don't think one should ever try and force people. It's just a question of uh, exposing them to various interesting ideas, and then they make up their own mind. Mm. Do you have a sort of sense of destiny about what you've achieved with this foundation? That, you know, it was something you were meant to do on this earth, as it were. In a funny way, I do. Maybe, because I'm a great believer in sort of things happening because they're meant to. Yeah. Um, I suppose doing the film, we were the two people meant to do that first porn-free film. And our, our meeting and our friendship with, with the Adamsons, and particularly George, who we remained a friend, close friend, uh, my husband and he were very, very close until George's murder. Um, mm. We we sort of took on so much of their philosophy and became ours. Mm. And um, and then, in a way, perhaps we, in our turn, have through them, not and through through us, through through the animals. Really, it's the animals that do it. You see, mm. animals become the symbols. If you find an animal that can tell a st its own story and touch people, that animal becomes a focus for their feelings and their views. And it's through the animals that you can change things. We 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 are kind of just like instruments, and the animals are the real the real focus, the real people in this story. And we're just the instruments through which the animals can speak. How were you affected by what happened to the Adamsons? Oh, it was truly shocking and dreadful and hideous and I mean how can you how could you ever feel anything else uh, mm. but that when two people any two people are murdered it's dreadful but two people who had never harmed a soul and who had done nothing but good for, for wildlife and mm. and for humans for that matter I mean George George's influence on on humans and his help for people who we used to go to his camp who needed to have some kind of uh, spiritual strengthening or just to be there and be refreshed i mean he would be a focus for people from all over the world who wanted to be with him and just sit in his camp and, and look at look at the bush and mm. um you know how, how an old man like that over 80 could be brutally murdered is is so deeply shocking you can't believe anyone could do it but there we are uh, he, he was and uh but then his life wasn't in vain i suppose that's the main thing you if anything is um destroyed uh, in a brutal way you've got to make sure that that life was not in vain and i mean that about animals and people have you ever been tempted to live in africa or outside of the uk no i've always loved visiting africa and still do but my roots are very deep here hmm. and 
I feel that this is where my little center is. And because I am in nature here, you know, I look, I'm looking out of my window now and I'm seeing the, the woods and the trees and everything. I feel I am living where I meant to live. I don't see myself leaving here. Can you ever imagine anyone else taking Bill's place in your life? Oh, no. <laughs> no one could take his place. No. So you'd never get married again? Oh, no. Oh, I'm much too old. <laughs> you know, too old to get married? <laughs> oh, no. I think it's nice to have friends. I love my friends. But um, my the only person I would ever be married to would be him. Right. How lovely. And I mean, how much of your life is the animals and the foundation and so on? Like 99%. Well, that's not quite right because my family is... Um, if I can mix my family with the animals, I can't really mm. do that, can I? Um, 99% of my work is the foundation, mm. but uh, kind of most of the rest, well, nearly all the rest of my life is my family, and then, of course, a large part of it is I have not a huge amount of friends. I have a lot of acquaintances, but I have a handful of wonderful friends right. that I see a lot of and talk to, and uh, so all, all that, those lovely three things. It's like a triumvirate in my mm. life, and I'm very, very lucky to have so much. How do you enjoy your role as a grandmother? Love it to death. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, I have such fun with, with my grandchildren, and I miss my Australian ones so much. I'm soon to go out and see them, which oh, is nice. really lovely. Yeah. Um, but I have great fun with them, and, um, oh, they keep you young, don't they? Mm. <laughs> oh, any old granny will tell you that. Is the Born Free Foundation as big as you want it to be, or is it going to extend further? I don't really know. Um, I, I don't think we ever sort of put limits on anything. Um, growing bigger, inevitably, would mean we'd have to earn a lot more money than we do now. We, we, we are fine with what we have, with, with what, what we get now, because we have a huge amount of responsibilities for the projects we support. Um, our office is in a little bungalow across my garden, and um, we're all crammed in. Well, I'm not crammed in. My office is now in the house, but a lot of them are crammed in there, and we, we manage really well. We have a very nice, happy team of people who are truly terrific. Whether we would expand, I wouldn't want to, us to lose the character that we have by getting bigger. I think that would be a great shame. Because I think small is beautiful, actually, sometimes. You can be effective and achieve a lot by not having too much of a hierarchy, too much of an admin system, too much of anything. We respond very fast. This is one of the things I think we've achieved, is that when something is told to us, there's a problem. We can get in there and try and do something really fast. How many staff do you have? I think we have about 10 full-time and then we have, I think it's five, four or five part-time, and then we have volunteers. And you just got the one office yeah. in Surrey, and we that's it? Yeah, the one office in Surrey, yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and now, I see that one of the trustees is Joanna Lumley. Yes. Is she a good friend of yours? Oh, yes. Joanna was our first patron when we launched in 84. She was our very first patron, and she was with us at the press launch on our first day and was truly superb. And then as the years went by... Um, and she, she helped us, and we, we invited her to, to be a trustee, which she accepted, I'm very, very happy to say. And she is truly a very wise and very seeing person. We, we listen to her words of advice very carefully, and um, we're, we're very honored that she would want to be part of us in that way. How much work does she do for you? 
Well, she does. She does uh, publicity things when we've got something worth worthwhile. You know, mm. something big. Because she's so busy that we we try to use her sparingly and make what she does for us very important. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe two or three things a year, but you see, we have trustees meeting on top of that. Mm. So whenever she's not away filming or, you know, she's always at the meetings when she's free. Mm. Have you worked with her as an actress? No, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, no. Perhaps you can get a part in Absolutely Fabulous. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're doing that anymore, are No, they? that's true, actually, they're not. <laughs> um, so let's just talk about the Orca project then. Yeah. How did that come about? When, when did that start? That's going back about six or seven years. Right. Through, through Kim Wood, who is our, our orca and uh, person of, of the foundation, she runs the project, we were introduced to Paul and Helena Spong, mm-hmm. who have Orca Lab in British Columbia. And they've been studying um, a community of orca for over 27 years. They live on Hanson Island, and they have this thing called Orca Lab. And through their equip- sound equipment, they can recognize every single family and individual that live in that bay. Right. And the orca come and go and come and go, and then they come and stay, and they have young, and then they die. You know, the various like lifestyles of a family. I think I would be right in saying that this particular family, this particular pod of orca are... Well, several pods, but this community of orca are probably the most well-known orca in the world because of this long-term study that Paul and uh, Helena have done. Are the orca whales among your own favourites, as it were? Well, I've only... Well, this brings me to the the other side of the life of an orca because I've actually, myself, only ever seen orca in in a captive place. And uh, that is why I'm so passionately against them living, well, I'm, I'm, I'm against most wild creatures living in captivity unless there's a pretty good reason for it. Mm. But in my view, there is absolutely no reason for a, an incredible animal like an orca to live in a concrete pool doing stupid tricks. Where was that? Well, they are all, they are all over the world, and mm. they are in Japan, and they are particularly in America, where we have this... This, this organization called SeaWorld, which I'm sure you've heard of, mm-hmm. and they have these uh, SeaWorld places in major cities um, in the United States. And the one called Corky is the one that lives in San Diego, and uh, she's actually been in captivity for 28 years. Oh dear. How long do they live for? Well, then? they can live over 50. In fact, oh. her mother... They come from this area, you see, which in front where Paul and Helena do their work. Mm-hmm. She was captured when she was small mm. for, and taken away from her, from her family. And she was put into um, this, this aquarium place and then finally moved to San Diego in 1987. And her mother, who is about 50, <laughs> has got a five-year-old son. So, I mean, mm. they can go on breeding until they're in their late 40s. Gosh. So you can imagine what it's like for this animal to be imprisoned in concrete and chlorine doing these tricks. And although she was pregnant, she's been pregnant seven times, not one of her offspring have have survived. So, you know, that is an indicator of something is a bit wrong. We've been trying to persuade, in some way, um, SeaWorld, to allow an attempt to rehabilitate Corky back to her own family. It was absolutely fascinating because a few years ago, they played, because they communicate by sound, they communicated, uh, they played a recording of 
the sounds made by her family in the pool in San Diego. And apparently, I've seen it on film, I've seen mm -hmm. her reaction on film. She started to shake and tremble mm. when she heard the sound of their voices. Amazing. Oh, it was, it was shocking, actually. It was, it was dreadful. Do you think you will succeed in reuniting? Well, only when, you, when we get the permission of SeaWorld. And for some reason, they... Well, I suppose, you know, she's an attraction mm. and she's been taught to do the tricks and there she is. But, you know, from a humanitarian point of view, they would get such good PR, wouldn't they? Mm. Have and you been there personally, though, to... to I've seen her. Have, yeah. I've seen her. I've been to see her. Bill and I went. Right. And he's got uh, a lot on video of everything. So right. we, we've seen the place for ourselves. But if she, you know, if they did agree one day, and um, she, she, she was allowed to go to an area off Hanson Island where, where the spongs are, which would be mm. cordoned off, so she would have a kind of rehabilitation, huge re rehabilitation area. Mm. If for some reason she wasn't able to go really back to the wild, there would be no question of, of making her. She could stay where she, where she was. But, you know, many, many acres of wild water is certainly better than a few square meters of a concrete tank, isn't it? Which of the Born Free projects attracts the most interest, do you find? Inevitably, the ones that attract the most interest are the rescue ones, mm. because you're actually rescuing individual animals from terrible captive condition, conditions and giving them a better life. So our big cat project with the rescue of lions, tigers, and the leopard has mm. been the most high profile in the press and therefore obviously have attracted the most interest, I think, from the public. I interviewed the artist David Shepherd recently. Is he involved with you at all? Well, he, he's not involved with us because he's got his own organization, but mm. David and, and ourselves have been friends for many, many years, mm. and so we like each other very much, and we, we have combined with the David Shepherd Conservation Trust on mm. anti-poaching thing in Zambia, so we're friends, and yeah. my son Will knows his, his daughter, who works with David and runs his organization, so we're, we're very close as individual people. But, you know, we each have our own different projects, but L we're very sympathetic to each other. Yeah, lovely house he lives in, isn't oh, it? Oh, does he not? <laughs> I know. <laughs>